0: Good evening and welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, February 26th. I am your host, Randall. I've got my co-host, Tommy, here. Say hello, Tommy. Hi, everyone. Madman working the boards. Enos is on his way. And on the phone, our special guest for tonight, um, Daryl Banks. You all know him as the Penciler of Green Lantern. Daryl, say hello to everybody.
1: Hello, everybody. How are you?
0: Thanks for co- being on the show, buddy.
1: Yeah, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome.
0: Uh, and this you're welcome. Very welcome. Uh, hopefully Enos will be here in, a, in a, a couple of minutes because I know he's just chomping at the bit um, to, to get on here and talk to you. Uh, so, Darrell, one of the things we normally do on this show is uh, our opening is we cover the uh, the news that's been you know making around over the last week. Uh, I'm not actually going to do that this week. However, with the exception of one news item that has to be talked about because we would be um, remiss if we don't. And I would actually love to get your take on it as well. And that is the news that Dan DiDito was fired from DC Comics. Mm-hmm. And the subsequent rumors, speculations, what have you, that if DC's 5G tanks, AT&T will kill the publishing arm of DC Comics, along with the whole Marvel may buy DC, DC and Marvel may merge. And, I mean, there's just so much information out there, it makes your head explode. Uh, so, so Daryl, as an insider, what is your take on that?
2: Well, regarding to the current work of the DC, I I know about as much as you do, maybe a little less. Uh, my my track record with them is decades old. <laughs> you know, right. although I'm uh, I'm slated to work on something with them, but uh, it's just in the planning stages at this point. But uh, other than that, I know what you know. Um, now, personally, I've never met. Uh, Dan DiDio, uh never worked with him, never talked with him, met him or anything like that. Um, there are people that really liked him and wish him the best, and there are those that do not. Um, so I, I don't have an opinion regarding him. Uh, like I said, don't know the man, but right. you know certainly it's you know I, uh, I I hope things work out with him. I don't know exactly the circumstances on why he was terminated. Uh, the, the idea that something's going to happen and There may be no more DC Comics. I've been hearing that since before I was even in the industry, and I've been doing this 30 years. So there's always some kind of cataclysmic event that's going to end comics as we know it forever, and that's it. You know, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. It's like they're not going anywhere. It's just something will happen to keep it going. I mean, keep in mind, there was a time Marvel Comics was bankrupt, legitimately bankrupt, and look at them now. So... It's just, I think they're, the the, not just from a, from an intellectual property standpoint, but just from a a business standpoint and even from a cultural standpoint, something will always keep them going. I remember when, uh, digital comics became a thing. It was like, Oh, print comics, that's going to come to an end. No one's going to buy any print comics. It's going to all be on the computer. It's all going to go away. Trust me on this one. Um, no, that now is both <laughs> so yeah', it's, yeah. It's, it's not going anywhere it's not going anywhere it now will it struggle quite possibly I mean that's that happens more often than not but go away I seriously doubt it seriously yeah
1: I mean it. the industry kind of goes through ups and downs so you know times it always where, does. yeah it always does and you know maybe it'll go through a little bit of a downturn but it'll it'll come back I'm sure and I don't see Marvel buying DC Comics. I mean, they could if they want to. I mean, Disney's got pretty much unlimited pockets, but I don't see that happening.
0: Well, and also also one of the uh, other reports that I listened to um, is apparently – because, you know, there are fans out there who are very much in Marvel's camp or very much in DC's camp. And if one of them goes down in flames, they throw a party type of deal. Um, so when it was rumors that if AT&T closes DC, some of the Marvel fans were like, "Woohoo! yeah, shut them down. And the report I was listening to, like, you don't want that, guys, because despite your feelings, Marvel's struggling too. Struggling almost as bad, if not worse, than DC. And if Disney sees that AT&T is willing to shut down the publishing arm of DC and just live off of 80 years of history and do the occasional special here every couple of months and license stuff out, don't think Disney won't just hop right on that train.
2: Uh, by the right, way, but uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh,
0: by the way, guys, we do stream this on YouTube as well. So if you are listening to um, the podcast, jump on YouTube because Maven is also throwing up some of uh, Daryl's uh, covers from his Green Lantern run, uh, as well as his handsome profile picture because he is such a handsome devil.
2: <laughs> and we <laughs>
0: do have a chat up there. So if you're watching the podcast and you have a question for Daryl. Hit it in the chat, Madden um, will put it up on the screen, and then Tommy and Enos, I have um, told you to go ahead and read those yeah. questions for us. So,
3: Good evening, Daryl. Good evening. How are you, my friend? Thank you so much for accepting our invitation.
2: Oh, uh, my pleasure, my pleasure.
3: Yes, indeed. I have been a uh, fan of your work ever since the Emerald Twilight storyline uh your work was phenomenal and you were definitely in the right place in the right time to for a new direction for a hero and i think your artwork is what helps solidify kyle rayner mm-hmm. thank absolutely. you thank you
0: but you know what we're going to talk a lot about green lantern but before we go there i want to ask daryl about uh how he got started because i noticed that um your first foray was into um, cyber, was a cyber tank, cyber force, tank? cyberpunk, cyberpunk. But oh. cyberpunk was not the one that caught my interest. It was your stint on uh, Justice Machine.
2: Justice Machine. oh uh, yes.
0: Uh, you know what was great because that was when it was with innovation. What I really liked about Justice Machine and also um, Hero Alliance because you also did the art for the Hero Alliance Justice Machine Identity Crisis, correct?
2: Uh, let's see. Let me think. Because that's a going back. I did, well, I remember I did like a like a two-page story with uh, the main character, uh, Victor. Right. Okay. Um, it wasn't, I mean, it was so short, I don't even know if I could call it a story. I just, <laughs> I just remember, uh, I can't look at it now. I remember the last time I looked at it, and I, I think I had to run to the bathroom and wash my, flush my eyes. It was like, oh, man, <laughs> how like it get work drawing so, like so, that? So it was
0: one of those things where you looked at it and you go, really? Who drew this? Because it sure as hell wasn't me, right?
2: <laughs> oh, man. So, I, I mean that was the, that was the very beginning. We're talking thirty years ago, so and wow. uh, yeah, so um, yeah. Now, now with Cyberpunk, I can go back and look at that, and the, the things I, I did with uh, shortly thereafter at Millennium Publishing. That I can look at, but Justice Machine, mm, not so much. Well, Justice Machine, maybe. Yeah. Well, see, Justice Machine actually was at the Innovation. Then it went to Millennium. Right. Millennium, I can definitely look at that because I had a lot of input on their redesign. Like, because uh, I love costume design. Uh, any chance I get to, to design uh, superhero costumes, you know, uh, that's that's my wheelhouse.
0: Oh, really? So I tell you what, then I will message you um, off the air for uh, the City of Heroes Homecoming server. You know about that, right? You'll spend a couple no. hours in that. You'll spend a couple hours in that costume creator and won't even play the game. So
2: <laughs>
0: I will send it to you afterwards. Uh, but the, the thing about I really liked about Innovation and Millennium with, with uh, Justice Machine and, and Hero Alliance those were um, late 80s early 90s. So those teams were a little bit edgier when Marvel and DC weren't doing so um, I don't want to say it. They weren't really taking the risk with their teams, you know, because this was that predates like Death of Superman and Night Quest and all of that, right? Because that was, you know, late '80s. So, correct. Correct. What was it like working on those team books, knowing that innovation and Millennium says, you know, we're going to go a little bit, not harder, but a little more tongue-in-cheek, serious tone with this than what DC and Marvel
2: are doing. Okay, here, thirty years ago, here, here was, here was my demeanor, uh, like a, yeah, you know, imagine like a, a, a toddler with eyes bigger than saucers. Just taking it all, just taking it all in, just being there. I I didn't give much thought to anything other than oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I'm being paid uh, for it. Uh, this is this is work now. You know I don't have to go back to Marshalls. I used to work at Marshalls before before getting into comics. I don't have to go back to Wendy's. Uh, mm. Now I'm drawing full time. Uh, you know, uh, you know, wh- wh- what do they want me to do? I hope I don't screw this up. That was all I thought of back then. You know the the you know the the nuances of story and where it was in history that never crossed my mind until much later, <laughs> till after the fact. Gotcha,
0: because uh, that was now that was also in a time too when it was a little bit harder to to break into comics because there weren't that many independent companies after, were
2: there? There were, but in my opinion, it's harder now than it was back.
0: then. Well, see, and I was going to ask you that: is it harder now you think, or harder then?
2: It's harder now than it was back then, because back then, you know, any, com- any comic book convention of any kind of size had booth set up of Marvel, DC, uh, Dark Horse, you name it. I mean, now, uh, I can't remember the last time I was at a convention. I do about 11 a year where I saw, you know, an actual you know, booth set up for DC and or Marvel. You know what I mean? Wow. So when you had a bigger presence of publishers... see. When you break in, it's it's one thing to mail samples or email, whatever, but it, it go, goes to a much higher level when you can see someone in person. Right. You mm-hmm. know? Right. Um, it's it's sort of like would you buy a car with just based on pictures? No. So nowadays, you know, it's harder to to actually get FaceTime with these publishers. So and also because of the internet, you know, and you know, comics have always been international, but even more so now. I mean, there are artists that are working on DC and Marvel books don't even speak English. And they don't have to, you know. Wow. Uh, work can be done digitally. As a matter of fact, that's what I'm doing currently. You don't even have to mail things. I mean, when I was doing it, you know, the bulk of my career, it was all, you know, uh, you know, pencil, ink, on board. You know, now that can be done, but it's an option. Back then it wasn't.
0: And not to mention, you were paying a fortune in, like, protective cardboard and a giant manila envelope to mail those things in every week, and you knew that in order for it to be at the editor's desk on Tuesday, you had to mail it out by Thursday, which gave you maybe three days that week to work on it, right?
2: (laughs) Well, fortunately, you know, regarding the shipping, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with companies that that covered all that side of it. Mm. Uh, I do remember, uh, I remember this vividly, uh, working on Green Lantern and uh, trying to you know, get that last page done before I could call in to uh, whoever shipper we were using at that p- particular point in time for they use different one. And I remember there was one that cut off was 8 o'clock and I remember, you know, 7.58, 7.59, call them, call them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I could be boxing them up when they're on their way and, you know, I'd look out the window, oh, they're here, you know, it's like, uh one time the driver actually said, Oh, you know, you called so late. I started not to come. I said, Yeah, you could have dodged this uh, this pickup and then you'd also be heading to the unemployment line because according to the company I had late o'clock. I just thought it was funny, like, Oh, I've inconvenienced this driver. Oh, excuse me for making you do your job but uh but yeah, it, it uh there was See, I'm too old for that now. <laughs> well, you <and> so you, <laughs> bring up
0: a, you bring up a really good point. You started back in the day when you were going to conventions with portfolios and going to publishers' um, booths and opening a portfolio and showing your artwork and, and pounding pavement. Uh, now a lot of artists, are, and I'm sorry, you, those guys are lazy. They don't have to see anybody; just mail it all in by submission. Right.
2: Uh, so are those questions. You really, on the to chat, me, you really want to be able to do that, though. Right.
0: Well, there's, it's fine if I can see that you do a really nice piece of artwork and you get it to me via email, but if I meet you in person and something just seems a little off, I don't know if I actually want to be working with you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I hate to say that.
2: Right. Well, here's the thing. I, what I used to teach, I used to tell my students, because I, I always had students that some had, I'll just be honest, had more talent than others. But in my experience, talent isn't really the deciding factor. It's just a factor. For example, how well you you know, you know, uh, facilitate your craft, whether it's painting, drawing, pencil, inking, that's only about, I'd say, 60% of your success rate. The rate is, the rest of it, the other 40% is, can you do it on time? Right. Can you communicate well? When, when the company calls you, will you pick up the phone? Now, that sounds obvious, but guess what? I've gotten plenty of work over artists who were just flat out better than me because I could pick up the phone or... If I say, "Hey, I can hit this deadline," you know, pretty close to it, I would do it, and then the, the, you know, a happy customer, is a repeat customer.
3: Absolutely. So,
2: you know, one thing I, whenever I have a a, a a student or students, usually was the case, that got discouraged about, "Oh, I don't know if I'm good enough." This, that, and the other. I'm like, "Well, you know, you're just looking at how well you draw, how well you illustrate. That's just a percentage of how successful you'll be in this, and also how well do you handle adversity?" Because you know no matter what <laughs> no matter what uh, profession you go into you're going to face profe- you're going to face that that kind of you're going to hit that wall and it's you know you're going to get knocked down if you, if you if you're determined to keep getting back up well that's another you know another weapon in your arsenal that you can use because there are those that just you know the, the first sign of trouble they're throwing up their hands and they're not coming back again right. you know
0: I, I can see Daryl now in, in a bidding war back then. It's like I can I can pencil that page in two days, yeah. <laughs> and the other or I can pencil it in a day and a half. And like I can pencil that page in two hours. Pencil yeah. So, that page. so somewhat, <laughs>
1: some of what you're saying is sometimes the, one of the best abilities is availability.
2: Yes. Um, however, now I, I almost feel like I'm gonna I'm going to totally discount what I just said. You want to be available, but you don't <laughs> want to be. You don't want it to be said like you're sitting around waiting for that next right. thing. Like It's almost like, oh, well, he must not be very good, or she must not be very good if, you know, they're always looking for something to do. You know, it's good just to say, I can't do it because I'm busy. Right. Um, it is. Um, it's like, a, you know, a well-known brand in demand. You know, that's, it, it, it sort of piggybacks on that. It really does. Absolutely.
0: So, after... Uh your stint there with Justice Machine, uh, let's go ahead and talk about DC, because uh, I, the first work you did for them was Legion of Superheroes, is that right?
2: Yes. Okay. Yes.
0: Uh, now, I, I, sadly, I, I, I hate admitting this, I could only find a couple of issues on that 89 run um, that you penciled. Was it more than... Because I found, I think, issues 49 and 50 with them?
2: It's. It started with... It was an annual... Um, I couldn't tell you the number. I, I'm lousy with that sort of thing. Um, they had... I had been sending samples for years, and I finally got, uh, you know, uh, was in contact with them, uh, most likely by telephone, that, you know, they, they were putting together this this Legion of Superheroes annual with, like, all new characters, not the usual, you know, Legion characters we're no, that are known for, and they wanted to have talent that no one's ever heard of, uh, which I definitely fit that, <laughs> that category. Even <laughs> I though, even though I have been in the industry for <laughs> half a decade as far as they're concerned, I was an unknown, you know, you know, half a decade now nah, that's, 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 that's still an unknown. And, and really, I mean, that's the truth of it. So I think they wanted me to do something like four pages in it and just take it from there. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing cartwheels cause that's, you know, uh, this was it. I mean, all that time doing the independent stuff, I enjoyed it, but this was, you know, this was going to get me some attention. So, you know, I knocked the pages out, and they're like, "Oh, that was faster than we than we thought." Now it wasn't fast. I I have, I have back then, speed and I, we just <laughs> the twain never met. Uh, <laughs> I, but it was, I was fast enough. So they said, "Do you want to do some more?" And I'm thinking, I used to scrub toilets at Marshall's. I used to sell shoes in that department. Yes, I want to do some more pencil pages for DC <laughs> Comics. So, you know, uh, they kept adding more pages, and they were like, hey, do you want to do some filling issues? Once again, it's like, yeah, yes, cool. I will have extra bacon on that sandwich. You know? <laughs> um, I hate it. So, um, so um, the, the thing is, years ago, I, I I was never really a big Legion fan. I did like the concept, but my favorite was not the you know, the, the, the most famous ones like Cosmic Boy or any or, of or, or, you know, those, I was like matter eater. Yeah. Oh, no. I thought, oh my
3: God. Really? you know, I thought no. the no. ability Daryl, this is, no Daryl you know. this is Enos. Daryl, this is Enos. Wait,
2: wait, you let, have- let him finish. Let him okay. finish. Go ahead. It, it's funny. Now, see, back then I was probably about 150 pounds soaking wet. So, you know, I, I, I was matter eater lad today. <laughs> not so much. Um, but back then I thought, Yeah, that's, that's that's a great power to have and so it just so happened that that's the character I got to draw. So I I loved every second of that, you know. The man.
0: All right, so Tommy, we're going to send you to Daryl's next convention in Ohio, um, so you can buy a commissioned piece from D- Daryl of Matter uh, Eater Lad. Matter uh, Eater Lad. So Tommy, Tommy, go ahead, sing, sing his praises now.
1: Matter Eater Lad is the man. You yes, have- he's my favorite. I've been, I've been talking about that ever since uh, Legion comics come back. I says, go, you know, come on, Brian, Michael, give us the man, give us Matter Eater Lad back.
3: We need exactly. Him. We need him exactly. Daryl, this is Enos. You have just made—if you could have just seen uh, Tommy throw his hands up—because every time we have a discussion on the Legion of Superheroes, he gets on mad Eater Lad and he stays there. We don't talk about anyone else. Well, I mean, that's a great
2: character, man. Oh yeah. Just—I—I don't—I don't don't know what else. I mean, it's kind of like, why doesn't DC really make him uh, a—you know—a crossover character? I mean, just imagine how many things could. Get solved with just have him eat it. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean,
3: as
1: far as like real world powers go, I mean, how great would that be? I mean, you could end things like pollution just by eating it. I mean, it's crazy.
2: Okay, imagine a a building has collapsed and it's on fire and there's, uh, you know, there's people that are trapped. Just eat it. He could just eat his way through the, you know, I mean, imagine as a first responder. I mean, there's so many things that, uh, you know, that you could apply with this power, even though you're like, oh, that's silly. But, you know, he wasn't part of the substitute legion. He was part of the the main team. So, you know, he, in spite of his power seeming humorous, but he, he at least he he was varsity. You know. Right,
1: right. I mean, yeah. You know, the, the legion of superheroes get captured, just drop in matter eater lad. I mean, yeah. he can handle things.
3: Well, mm-hmm. so I, I... just
1: I, eat, eat their way out.
3: I think they. I, um, you make a very good point, Daryl, because I always thought. That mutt should be a character that 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 should be done in a serious manner because I think that would sell. Bluef Fal- and the don't have Blue Falcon be so much Batman esque, but give give him a little a little um solid ground and don't have mutt as comic relief. Have him as as a valuable asset to him and to be more than just some um, bionic dog where he could basically do anything and be more of a aid than comedy relief. Well,
0: why don't you just flip the
3: script? Have Dynamut
0: actually be like a, a super intelligent 12th level like brainiac type of thing right. and have Blue Falcon actually be an idiot and the whole reason anything <laughs> gets done is because Dynamut keeps pulling his ass out the fire.
3: That work. You know what that would work. <laughs> that could
2: work. Well, that they, would they, work. They, DC did that. Uh, what was it? Uh, where they had Johnny Quest and Maitor and all those Hanna Barbera characters oh, in that right. comic? Oh, yeah. Oh, the Future Quest. Uh, I don't. Quest. I mean, Future Quest. Yeah. Did, I don't know. Did uh, did uh, Blue Falcon and Dynamite make an appearance during that? I, uh, I would imagine they would have.
3: I, uh, I, I know. They, I know they did appear. In some aspect of the whole bringing in of the Hanna-Barbera characters. But um, I can't remember exactly what. But from what, if I do recall, and don't quote me on this, I think they just basically kept him the way he was. Okay. They kept him in the uh, comedy relief type thing. But um, the reason why I say that is that, I don't know if you guys remember it, back in 99, Toonami when Cartoon Network was really in its infancy, they had an online comic of Blue Falcon and Dynamut, and they did it in a serious tone. That was fantastic, and that's why I was saying I would love to see that again.
0: Yeah,
3: I I just don't remember that. It was a cyber cyber comic. It was during the infancy of the uh, internet and online comics and things like that, but yes, they actually went and did a story where they made everything serious. And Dino was on point. Okay. And 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 like and you're know, like they had um Blue Falcon like this master detective like um once, you know, like you just imagine just a police inspector who wore a costume. Right. And okay. It was fantastic. Great. All, All right. right. So
0: let's get into the Green Lantern. Uh, yes indeed. Yes, sir. So uh, Emerald Twilight, you you jump on that book. What issue forty eight? Is that when that story, that storyline starts?
3: I do
2: believe it is. Well, I didn't start. Well, forty eight was I, I. did the cover for it, mm-hmm. and forty nine, the probably the image I'm most known for. But my interior and my you know real input didn't begin until fifty. So That's you, what I thought. Okay, uh,
0: and throw issue fifty cover up there because I do love that cover. Uh, I just have this one slide. Okay.
1: Yeah, 49 is one of my favorite covers of all time. That's an amazing Yeah,
0: that's why I put put 49 in there because I love that. Yeah, yeah, and all the rings on his. Amazing work. That's when you knew that, oh, it's about to get real.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, uh, I guess my question is when you got on Green Lantern, uh, were you told ahead of time? By the way, we're about to shake this character up, or was it um, you thought you were going to be doing Hal Jordan, and you're going to be doing Hal Jordan stories, and then being told, "Oh, by the way, he's going to go bad. We're going to put a new kid in there."
2: It started really jumbled at first because uh, I had a different writer, uh, Gerard jo- Gerard Jones, I believe his name was, right. and they they knew all I knew was um, I wasn't going to be doing Hal Jordan. You know, uh, throughout. Because at first I, I thought I was, and they were like, "Well, we're going to change it." And I remember thinking, "Well, I had it in my head that I wanted to." Because growing up, I was I was not a big Green Lantern fan. I liked the concept of the powers, but you know, he was you know it, he had amazing artists like you know Gil Kane and Neil Adams. Yeah. But the character himself, he was making mousetraps and boxing gloves <laughs> and, right. and vacuum sweepers. So in my in my, I had a sketchbook. I just had things that Green Lantern should create, if, if you know, or you know, if if I were to ever draw it, he would make make things like this kind of a thing. Never, not really a goal. Just it was just something I just you know amongst my many sketchbook topics. So when I came on the book, I just thought, okay, this is my chance to uh, you know to make Hal seem a little bit more credible power wise, and that he's not just that member of the super friends right. Right. and they're like, yeah, but you know, we're going to change some things. Cause I mean, of course being the mid nineties change was all there was. I mean, you look at image comics, the advent of image and all that, we have got what's going on at Marvel and, and, and DC death of Superman and all that Change is all we had. So, you know, it wasn't a surprise, but it was kind of like, Hmm. Um, now it didn't help the fact that green lantern as a title wasn't, was underperforming and really an eyelash from cancellation, according to my editor. Right. So any, wow. anything that we did, you know, it was to the point where the suits weren't even paying attention. That's 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 the thing that <laughs> that I remember the most is that when you think about some of the best uh, changes that happen to a character is when the company corporately doesn't care. When they're not, right. looking. we got we got. <laughs> that's how we got Spider Man. That's how we got Spider Man. Martin Goodman did not care what happened to Amazing Fantasies. He said, "Stan, it's all you. What do you what do you have?" And it was like, okay, well, I got this. Uh, now, if, if uh, just think, had Amazing Fantasy been a huge hit, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have Spider-Man to, to this day. Which you know, no animated series, no movies, no nothing.
1: Yeah. But so. with
2: Green Lantern, you know, we, they were willing to take some chances because um, the only spike in sales it got was the crossovers from a uh, Death of Superman. Right. Right. So. uh they they brought in Jerry, and he had some ideas, you know, story-wise, and it just wasn't really gelling. And then, long story short, here comes Ron Mars, whom, you know, I hadn't met before, but he and I just clicked, uh, you know, we just hit it off immediately, because he's a writer, but he thinks very visually, which is not a shock, considering, you know, his, his, he was close friends with Bernie Wrights and, and Jim Starlin, and uh, people like that, so... Right. He's a writer, but he thinks, "What will this look like?" So I thought, "Well, we we'll we we'll, we'll, you know, we're going to make a really good tra- a really good team, and we did." So um, along comes the idea that we're going to bring in this whole new lantern, and the rules of even being a Green Lantern were going to change. I was kind of like, eh, "I don't know," and I remember my editor saying that these exact words: that, "You're going to be glad you were on the ground floor of this." Oh and, uh, wow!
0: How, how, how iconic correct. is that?
2: Yeah,
1: because they removed <laughs> his his uh, vulnerability to the color yellow. Well, they removed the entire core, of the and uh, yeah, all, yeah. The, all the core. Yes. You know, he wasn't vulnerable to yellow anymore. And Kyle was like was much more creative than Hal, as you were talking about well, earlier. Well,
0: and, and and because Kyle was an artist, so he visually could see it in his head. Now he had a tool to create it.
2: We also got rid of the twenty four hour recharge. Right. Rule. recharge right, yep. Yes.
0: All right, so I have to I have to go down the ugly dark path here because someone has to, and I have to ask about Green Lantern fifty four. Are you the man who put Alexander DeWitt in the
2: refrigerator? Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Um, that was that was uh, the comics code authority was still very much in place then, mm-hmm. and uh, the way I originally drew the page was that the door was open. All the shells were smashed or removed, and and she she was dead. Alex, you know, Kyle's g- girlfriend, she was d- dead, but she was intact. Well, the comic code was like, oh, we can't show that, so you know, you've got to obscure it. You know, have the door, you know, m- you know, pretty close to being closed. And so, um, everyone mm-hmm. thought the same thing I did. Like, well, I, you know, I my my refrigerator could not accommodate a human body, so therefore you know, you're imagining there's a head on one shelf and there's a foot on another shelf. It, it made it that much more horrific. Had they left it the way I originally illustrated it, we, we probably wouldn't even be talking about it 30 days after the fact, but well, here it is 2020 and we are still talking about it.
0: Well, I think the reason we're still talking about it is there was a lot of flack you guys caught by that almost immediately after, right? Uh, there was Nelson. more, there
2: were more letters regarding the death of Alex than, uh, Hal Jordan becoming parallax. Wow. Which is a surprise wow. to everyone. Especially since Hal Jordan had been around since for how long as opposed to Alex had appeared maybe four yeah, times total? Yeah, she, she'd only been
1: around for a few issues.
2: Now, I got to give Ron uh, Mars a credit for really fleshing out her character early out because, you know, it's, it wasn't a character that anyone was familiar with, but she was a, a very pivotal point in Kyle Rayner becoming. A superhero, really. It, it boils down to this: there's a lot of parallels between Kyle Rayner and Peter Parker. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's no no getting around it. Alex was Uncle Ben. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea was yeah. okay. he, he's going to need a a reason to take this this ring that he was just randomly given. Why should he become a superhero? He had no reason to. So, you know, Kyle needed an Uncle Ben. So we couldn't make it an uncle. I mean, we we thought well what's it going to be and and, you know ron was like yeah it's got to be a girlfriend so she was literally created to be uncle ben
1: yeah i never thought about about it like that but
3: yeah i mean that makes perfect sense and henceforth you you up um what is the word that i'm looking for you um upheld the adage along with great power comes great responsibility responsibility. without (laughs) even saying it
2: yeah
3: right (laughs)
0: Well, and I got to tell you, because like you, there I was. I always liked the concept of Green Lantern, but I also agreed that he just wasn't a very exciting character. So um, I jumped on back onto it again with the whole interval Twilight and the, um, the the destroying of Coast City and the, the, <coughs> the Cyborg Superman and what have you. So I was on board and reading when you guys um, brought in Kyle Rayner and, and he took over. And I will tell you that last panel in fifty four that floored me. I was like, "Whoa! <laughs> Did they really just do that?" Uh, <laughs> and, and, and Enos has it up here. Uh, he brought it in with for show and tell. It's it's a Green Lantern comic
3: book, and we have green screens, so those are the, like right. Green Lantern comics are just the worst when it comes to chroma key. <laughs> 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 now, Daryl, one of the things that drew me to you because I read of um, I read your bio in Wizard magazine, and I. You were talking about your teaching, um, and I was like, "Wow, this is pretty cool—a great comic book artist, but who's also a teacher." What, what What was the one thing during your tenure as a teacher that was the most gratifying to you? Ooh, the most gratifying—that
2: um, the class, the comic class, existed at all. Now, initially, I taught other classes at the Columbus College of Art and Design. And uh, the comic class was presented, uh, the concept of it was presented to me by one of the only instructors that really believed in comics as a legitimate art form. His name was Ron Tardino. And he said, well, you know, I think that, you know, we should consider developing a comic class. I thought he was kidding because the school just really wasn't that big on comics at all, especially, you know, during the time I was a student there. And I thought, well, e- even if I thought it was a good idea, you know, what would the class even be about? How would you do it? And he, and he said, well, what would a person need to know if they wanted to get into comics illustration? I said, oh, there's a, there's a great number of things. He said, well, can you write that down and let's let's see, let's present it. And long story short, you know, I I did just that. The the you know the class was created. I was very uh, gratified that the that the class existed at all. Okay. But on top of that, I've had some very talented students come up, come through my class. Just uh, you know, I, I, some I'll see to this day, and I'll jokingly say, "Oh, I I could take credit for all your." Credit <laughs> I, I made I, I you can't. what but, you uh, are. <laughs> I made you what you are today. Yes, uh, you were no one until I, you took my class. No, I, well, uh, they unfortunately, you know, all the students that come to mind, they were very self-motivated. Uh, I just kind of steered them in a particular direction, but. Hard work, you know, that's got to come from, from them. That, right, that, exactly. That was so all now, exactly.
0: Okay, so now that begs the question for me Did you have any students that when you looked at your work, you would go, damn, I wish I could draw like that?
2: <laughs> did, did, did I have students that when you looked at their art, you went, man, I wish I could draw like that? Mm. No, but I, I did have some very, very talented uh, students, though. I think one that comes to mind is Joe Caroni, who does a lot of work for lucasfilm to this oh, day wow, uh wow. uh K. Ron grant uh um, oh yeah I think he has a i i don't know where to begin with him he, he was he actually got his first comic work while he was in my class oh wow now um so uh i, I would probably say i wish i could draw like him when i was at that stage of development yes because right. gotcha. <laughs> right. i was not uh, I didn't get my first work until years after I graduated. Right.
0: So I think Tommy actually has a question from the YouTube feed for you.
1: Yeah. Uh, with, okay. With, um, you know, what was the one item that you would have drawn if you had had your way, you know, Kyle Ranner? was there anything that they told you that any constructs that he wasn't allowed to draw, you weren't allowed to draw or, or that they just said, no, you
2: couldn't do. Yes. There were things that we could, that we couldn't do and, and it would surprise you. Um, I've, had to have uh well actually my anchor uh romeo tongal had to fix it for me i was uh especially at the time i was a big fan of uh the warner brothers cartoon characters mm-hmm. you know particularly fog foghorn leghorn so i had uh kyle rayner kept a sketchbook and i had him draw a foghorn leghorn and my editor goes well we can't we can't show that i thought he was kidding because you know warner brothers oh, no. also oh, no. a division of time warner mm-hmm. who also owned, owned dc comics so i figure yeah, it's not like I put, you know, a hanna Barbera character or something like that. So I thought he was kidding. Is that no those brands, at least at that point in time, had to remain very separate. Oh wow. Wow. So uh that was I'm telling you, I I thought he was kidding at first, I'm like, oh you know, we can't have Foghorn in this panel. I'm like, Yeah, no, seriously, you know, that's they're they're Warner Brother characters, you know. That's the parent company, so sure that's gotta be okay. Like no, actually at the at at that point in time. hopefully that's changed, but at that point in time, no. I, I couldn't do it. So uh Uh, uh, Brobeo changed it to another character. I think he turned it to, uh, Gleek from the Super Friends, the little, the little blue, uh, little monkey character. Okay. So, uh, if it was up to me, I probably would have incorporated more, uh, of the Warner characters, and kind of snuck them in there.
1: That would have been cool. That would have been cool. Well,
0: well, I can't tell you that has changed because a couple of years ago they did all those DC team ups with um, the Warner Brothers characters, like
2: yeah, uh, yeah,
0: like Wonder Woman and Tasmanian Devil, which was actually really good.
2: Yeah, we got them right over here. I love them. <laughs> Are those my copies? Yeah.
0: Okay, they're going home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so that then brings up a follow up question. Um, was there a title or a character that you wanted but didn't ever get your hands on?
2: That I wanted to appear in no, Green you, Lantern?
0: Or no, no, that you wanted to either draw or, or work on, but you just didn't get your hands on it.
2: That it's like, I, I,
0: how do I get a hold of that title? Well, so-and-so's drawing it. Well, how can I get a crack at it?
2: Oh, that's, 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 it's a list. Uh, <laughs> the, the topping list is Avengers for Marvel. Oh wow, um, yeah. That was that was why I got in the industry. I got in the industry with the thought in mind one day I'll be drawing Earth's mightiest heroes. That was the goal. And I remember uh there was a time where I was doing uh Justice League and it was you know, I was doing fill ins for, for quite a while and I, I got the call from uh from the you know Marvel Avengers editor and I, I told him, you know, I I'd love to do it but I'm I'm busy right now. But, you know, maybe once this stint is up, you know, we could work something out. And the fall it never happened. It was kind mm, of like, no. no. Now, of course, you know, keep in mind, I haven't retired yet. So it's not like I it know. can't happen. But just uh, I would have liked to have, for it to have happened much, you know, earlier on. But uh, things happen for a reason. So, yeah. But that was, that was, that was the, the big target. Of course, you know, my goals have changed since then. But I just remember for the longest that was... I, I had great sorrow over having to tell them no, I can't do it. Oh wow! But it was either—I mean, the thought was this: Justice League—that was a regular paycheck. Whereas the the Avengers, that might have been a one-off thing, and I may have ruined things with doing Justice League. So right. it's kind of like, yeah, it would have been a dream, but you know, I don't—you know—I I don't pay the electric bill with dreams. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I agree. See it. Right.
1: And, yeah, it and, sounds like you made the right choice
2: there. Yeah, and
0: that was back in a day when Marvel and DC didn't look upon you too favorably if you went to go work for the other guys, even if it was just like a one off, you know.
2: Then that kinda depend. Now I, I hear what you're saying, but even that kinda depended because I remember the first time I visited the DC offices, since I was in New York, I kept saying, Well, while I'm here, I think I'll go, you know, just you know, say hi to anybody I might know at, at the you know, at the Marvel headquarters. And my editor stood in the door like, no, don't go there. They're going to give you something. And I'm thinking, they don't even know who I am. They don't even, they don't know I exist. Only, you know, there was an editor that used to work for DC that I knew was working at Marvel. His name was Jason. I said, I, I want I just want to say hi to Jason Lee, you know. And I did that. And I did end up walking away with, <laughs> with some Marvel work. It was, um, it was, I remember it was a, uh, oh, it was a, like three pages in an X-Men they, it was a, I, I think it was what issue was that like I said I, I, I forget numbers but they, it was an issue of X-Men that must have had like eight different pencilers on it because I guess it was really late and they were literally looking for warm bodies and they were like hey Daryl Banks can, can you help us with this hmm. yeah, with this issue and I'm thinking one it's X-Men two you know who I am because I I had index <laughs> cards ex, uh, you know, I was going to do this whole presentation of who I was and they're like, oh, hey, how's things on Greenland? I'm like, how do you know this? You know, it's like they know. But, uh, but I mean, keep in mind, you know, we had Marvel and DC crossovers then. You know, um, I would have loved, you know, it would be great if that kind of era uh, could come back again. But I think things are so corporate and so uh, intellectual property focused that I don't, I don't know how possible that is. But, you know, who knows? Yeah, was, uh, I think it would benefit both c- companies, honestly.
1: Yeah, I think so too. We you know, we've talked about that previously. About we'd like to see another Avengers JLA yeah, crossover. Yeah, that was the last one, right? JLA Avengers. Yeah, that was the last one, and that was what oh five oh six yeah. something like that, mm-hmm. maybe even earlier.
0: Well, also, there's just recently we've got to see some of the artwork from the unreleased JLA Avengers crossover, like the one that didn't happen before the one that
2: came out. Yeah. So that's the those pages by George Perez. That's. Those were the first type pencil pages I'd ever seen in my life. It was in one of his art books, and I didn't know what pencils really were supposed to look like. You know, uh, the only other exp- uh, example I saw was uh, Marvel used to have these books called tryout books.
0: I remember like the could, tryout yeah,
2: book. yep. you could uh, pencil and ink and that sort of thing. So I remember um, seeing you know the the pencils in that, and of course they were really loose. And I thought, well, is that what they're supposed to look like? And so my early samples kind of were like on that level of completion, and you know there was like, no, that's that's too loose. And so I thought, well, how, what's it supposed to look like then? So when I saw George's work on you know the original JLA Avengers, I thought, oh, like that. Never, never finding out until much later. No, George was that's tighter than they need to be. <laughs> but by then, the, you know, the the, the 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 cement had hardened. So that's that's just how I draw from from there on out. Just. You know, as, as uh, comprehensive as possible.
0: There are stories of Inkers crying whenever George handed
2: in pages. Until they got the originals back and could sell them for uh, a <laughs> considerable sum.
0: <laughs> Tommy, got any more questions on the, the feed there?
1: Uh, no, we just had that one from earlier from Mark.
3: Uh, uh, okay. Enos, you got something? I know you do. <laughs> yeah. Daryl, what is um Randy hates this, but one of my favorite issues during your run on Green Lantern was you exposed a pa- uh, uh that you were a fan of another medium and that was pro wrestling. Yes. Yeah. And you okay. and, and you did the um how you had Kyle uh turn himself into a um I ultimate ultimate warrior. warrior type. That and <laughs> and, and that was th- because it was different because you got the you got the feeling, okay, yeah, this is the ultimate warrior, but you it was completely Kyle, it was him. Would now um would if you had the opportunity to would you work on a wrestling orientated comic? Because a lot of people don't want, don't want to own up to this, but comics and wrestling kind of go hand in hand because of because of the characters and the storylines. And that we see every week. Now, we all know, you and I both know, because you and I are both old schoolers. We love the old schoolers. Because a lot of the stuff that's out right now is not that great, nothing compared to what it was yesterday. With, if there was a um, wrestling-oriented book you could work on, what would it be, or what pro wrestler would you turn into a comic? See, that's the thing. I don't know if I would do
2: directly a wrestling comic. I like putting wrestling into things. Right. It all started, it it all started so innocently. Uh, There was a, it was a a splash page on Legion of Superheroes and it was a crowd scene uh, on an alien planet. And I, I I put Big Van Vader who was a, you know, a popular wrestler from back in the day in a, in a crowd scene. And I thought, it's not like it's Andre the Giant or Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage. I chose someone. I figured no one's going to know who that is. Well, uh <laughs> Three my associate W7, editor W7 calls me and goes, champion yeah we know who that is you got to remember we're just down the street <laughs> yeah we're so right. yeah we know who big van vader is so i thought am i in trouble like no we love wrestling so from there i ended up putting uh more like not so much wrestlers but just more like moves and poses that sort of thing um whenever I could, whenever I could, I did a, a splash page in a, a, one Legion of, uh, it was ultra, ultra, what was his name, Ultra Boy and the Persuader in, in, a, in a, like a wrestling fight. He had put the abdominal stretch submission yeah. hold on him. Oh, wow. That's
1: a um, I had a I
2: I did a, a Lobo pinup for them with, a, it was like Lobo versus some alien lizard, and he had him against the turnbuckle like he was going to hit him with that big hook of his. Right. And they, and they loved it. They said, yeah, keep it coming. So I thought, you know, here, here. fast forward to uh, Green Lantern 50 with the death of Sinestro and, you know, uh, fighting uh, Hal Jordan. You know, Hal, if, if you remember, he DDTs him. Yes, he him did. In camel yes, he did, that's right. And kills him with the sleeper hold. Right. And I, Now, when I drew that, I thought, they're not going to keep all those wrestling moves. Nope. Kept every single one <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Right. The, wow. The editors right.
3: don't know wrestling, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, they, no, that, no, that's the whole thing. They, they all knew it. Oh, wow. They, loved they it. knew what it was. They were fine with it that's great
3: i would have liked to have seen i don't I'm, um i'm dating myself here but one of my favorites growing up he was almost like a real superhero was mil mascaras okay and i was i had come up with a concept where um he would team up with other lucha luchadors and like who, the old movies yes and Whoever would um, put on their mask would gain powers. Kind of like bringing, kind of like common combined pro wrestling with the Captain Universe concept, where they would obtain special powers and what have you. It, it, it kind of undeveloped, but I always loved, he was one of my favorites growing up, and I said, um, and I have some of his, I have some of the movies, and I have some of his matches from the IWA. And he, I've always wanted to see him make that transition in the comics because he was such a larger-than-life character, and I think that would have really caught on.
2: Well, you know, comics and wrestling, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. If right. you follow me on social media, right. you probably saw that picture of me and Ricky the Dragon. Exactly. Steven, you know, uh, it's just it really uh, its <laughs> wrestling is a is a storytelling medium. Mm-hmm. Uh with larger-than-life characters, what well, kind of sounds like comic books to me. So, right. <laughs>
1: Do you have a favorite wrestling storyline that you that you really loved growing up watching when it when it happened?
2: Not one. I have many, but I, I'd say in my top five. You know, speaking of Ricky Steamboat, uh, his uh, feud with Ric Flair. Oh uh, yeah, uh, that's great. That uh, it included the uh, it was like an Iron Man match. Mm-hmm. It was like went like it was like fifty minutes of just nonstop wrestling not you know cartoony stuff i mean they you know they fought i mean they had a long history but oh yeah they always that's bought it probably one it of my favorite yeah. yeah
1: they always bought it when they when they came together yeah i was always a big fan of the uh the hulk hogan million dollar man story where okay he, where he paid where he paid the uh, ref to get plastic surgery to look exactly like earl hebner and to, <laughs> f- to buy off the title for, for <laughs> andre the giant oh i love that that was one of my favorite things growing up
3: yeah but, but that was kind yeah that, but that was kind of insulting, too, because if you knew Russell, you knew it was his twin brothers. So. <laughs> <Right. So, laughs> oh, oh, well, I was like, this was in like 1988, 80, 87, 88, 80, 80, so I was like 10,
1: 11 years old, oh, so yeah. I didn't oh, know Oh, yes, so, right, okay. Right, it was like, oh my goodness, that was fantastic.
2: DBC that's another uh, another great, I I uh, did a show with him this time last year. Oh, wow. We took a picture together, I had the million dollar belt on, uh, holding and all that, so yeah, he, he a lot of these guys, they, they'll they do the comic uh convention circuit because like I said they kind of go hand in hand I mentioned Big Van Vader earlier Uh, fortunately I was able to to meet him as well uh, before he passed away yes yeah
1: yeah, we, we we try we try to tell uh, Randy and Madman here that you know these things do intersect because Enos and I will bring up wrestling when we can during during our podcast when it but, more you <laughs> than me, more sorry. me, more me. But,
3: yeah. <laughs> I noticed Enos quickly backed away from like no, oh, buddy, that's you. <laughs> but, but no, I've always I've always been a big fan of... I've, i like to have seen Mascaras really transcend from just being a wrestler and a movie star and an icon in Mexico and just seeing because I know they've got comics of him um, in Mexico and I just haven't been able to find him. But if, I do believe they're going to be... Um, I saw something from a toy fair this weekend where um, they're going to be introducing different new action figures. One of them is the Phantom... Uh, Tarzan, the Sam Jones, Flash Gordon, and they said yes. that they're going to have Luchador. So I'm thinking, finally, I'll get that Mill Mascara's action figure I've been looking for. So hopefully,
2: it sounds like you know you kind of would like to see Mills, you know, follow in the footsteps
3: of the great El Santo. Oh who yeah, had yeah. everything yeah. from toys to movies and, and TV shows and everything. Oh yeah, know? I would. Oh man, I would love that because I used to really watch because he was the closest thing to a real life superhero. Um, that you know, other than the comics and the cartoons, I had because I used to just watch him just to see him with his colorful costumes, his mask, and everything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, um, that'd be great to see him as a comic book character.
0: So like well, to I Well, I mean,
3: and
2: also look at the influence oh. he had on the sport. Yes, at oh yeah, to this day. I mean, yeah, I
1: mean, internationally, Ray Mysterios
2: and uh, those guys, and right. he's
1: one of the you know best known names internationally out there. You know. Mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely.
0: Well, and well-deserved. So I want to get back to a couple of, of Daryl's creations, um, like particularly um, Parallax. Uh, ah, yes. Okay. Did yeah. you know when you created that character just how badass he was going to end up being? I mean, that is a lot of people's most
2: favorite hated villain. Well, you know, here's the thing. When, we were, when Ron and I were drawing, you know, were doing the character, we never thought of him as a straight-up villain. We thought of him more of a... Uh, it's kind of an anti-hero. It's more like, right. I always thought of the movie uh, Falling Down with, with Michael Douglas.
3: Yeah. Where, you know,
2: his character was not evil. It was more like he had just been pushed too far. He just kind of yeah. snapped. Um, with with Parallax, the, the irony is, uh, originally he was supposed to be called the Protector because DC already owned the copyright to that name and it had been used before and all that. And I thought, it just does not make sense considering what we're doing with the character. So, I, I wanted to stick with the letter P. I said, "Well, uh, there's something about parallax that it deals with a change in point of view." And I thought, if, if nothing else, you certainly had that. So I had to campaign them to to change the name from Protector to Parallax, and they did not want to do it. <laughs> they were like, wow. uh, "No, we we own this copyright, and that's and that's that." So I remember writing like a paragraph of why I thought you know that should be his name, and and I went to the, uh, something similar with Kyle Rayner's. Symbol because at one point they wanted a radical departure with his costume, but they wanted to keep the classic symbol. I thought, well, we've come this far, let's give him his own symbol as well.
1: And I, and so I, so once to-
2: again, like, no, we want to keep this the classic symbol. So, you know, I kept every every chance I I, I got, I would you know do the drawing of it you know with the symbol that I, that I wanted him to have. And I said, well, keep in mind, since Kyle won't speak the oath like Hal and and previous lanterns did, I want to imply the oath in his symbol that's why it's split in half like that brightest day blackest night like the the circle inside like a sun and a and a moon you know and they thought about it I'm like well oh, it does kind of make sense so you know the, the way to get them it to is, do things is wow. make it seem like it was their idea
3: <laughs> yeah and i'm i'm looking at the issue of of uh, the cover of number 51 and you know as long as i've had this i never made that you connection made until that now connection? Never made that connection. <laughs>
0: I just thought it looked pretty.
3: I thought it was cool. <laughs> I just I just Thanks. I just that was, uh, that was, that was job one. That was just, that
1: well, was the main and point. that's one of the things that, that, that drew me to Kyle too is you know the, the new costume. I thought that was and, great. And I
0: was just gonna say the yes. whole reason the whole thing I loved about Kyle Rayner's costume was all the Green Lanterns looked the same, the green and the black with the white gloves. And I get it, it's like a uniform type of deal, but Kyle was such a departure from that. Well, I think it was because he was an artist, and I think right, that that's right. why you know Daryl's art is so relevant in this, because like, coming up with that costume showed how what a different thinker and what a different direction the Guardians were taking when they brought Kyle Rayner into the fold. Absolutely. So I
2: think that the that one, helped. Yeah, There was controversy with the mask, I think, even to this day. Uh, I don't know how many of you are aware, the the inspiration behind his mask was actually based on a Marvel character. Um, growing up, I was a big fan of this Marvel character called Sunfire. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I just loved how Sunfire's mask it like it it didn't follow the contours of his nose closely, just kind of. Why that always intrigued me, even as a kid. I don't know. It just does. Well, he was a cool looking uh, character, he so I wo- thought, yeah, you know, let me let me integrate something like that into into Kyle's look. So that's that's why his mask kind of looks like that.
3: Cool. Well, I know you had a fit when they had that uh, episode of Spider Man and his and his amazing friends devoted to Sunfire.
2: Oh, well, he didn't have the mask on at all in that one. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, yeah,
1: you know, it was funny. We watched that not too long ago. My my wife found that on uh, Disney uh, Plus. Plus, yeah, Disney yeah, Plus. Yeah,
2: and, I, I saw that also.
1: And they they <laughs> they, they showed him, and, and and as soon as I saw, him, and they they got to talk, it was like that's Sunfire. She goes, yeah. "How would you know that?" Yeah. <laughs> It's like, it is, trust me.
2: Well, the thing is, you know, speaking of Sunfire, I still like that character. I mean, uh, fortunately, you know, he's still getting toys and that sort of thing. What I always thought was interesting is that internationally, I think Marvel should market it because I've got some friends, you know, you know that live in Japan and they had never heard of him before. You know, wow. they've heard of, I mean, everybody, of course, they've heard of Batman and Harley Quinn, et, et, et cetera, Deadpool, you name it. But they had never heard of Sunfire. I thought, you know, that's a character that really they can really right. out of your uh, own country <laughs> them even more, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely fantastic I mean, you were on a kinda of iconic run of Green Lantern. T- today people still talk about Kyle Rayner and, and and Alexander DeWitt and, and all those storylines that came after that. Um, so we've got just a few minutes left. Um, why don't you tell us what's coming up for you, Daryl?
2: Well, uh Recently, I completed work on a World War II graphic novel called Harkins Raiders. Harkins Raiders was through uh, Ominous Press, and it was a, a Kickstarter that funded. And uh, it also came with those that you know had a certain support level. Also, got my very first uh, art of Daryl Banks art art book that uh, they put together, and they did an amazing job put, uh, uh, with with both pieces of production. Harkins Raiders was very interesting because. It kind of goes back to what I used to tell my students, that one of the best ways you'll grow as an artist is drawing things that you're not really uh, familiar with, that you need to, uh, to, to reference, to add to you know your drawing ability. Uh, so that some of my first assignments I gave them were things like westerns and military things, things that you just cannot draw correctly straight out of your head. So uh, when the the opportunity to do the Harkins Raiders graphic novel came up, I thought, Ah, oh, it's World War Two. That's going to be hard. I'm like, uh, it's time to practice what you <laughs> preach, brother. So, um, so yeah, that was you know that was the band getting back together again. yeah, you know, was written by Ron Mars. So you had essentially the you know the the Green Lantern duo uh, doing something that's you know a lot different. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say completely different because it still de- deals with you know you know heroic situations and action that sort of thing. But uh, as far as currently. Uh, once again, Ron and I are, are going to be participating in the uh, 80th uh, anniversary Green Lantern special. That's you know uh, Ooh, being put together. Now,
3: I I heard about oh yeah I, heard so, yeah, I saw some press on that last week. They even got the uh, the Nicola Scott cover, where you you saw the different versions of Batman and Superman yeah. that that, that and Wonder that. Woman. They've done one for Green Lantern too. Awesome. Yes, yeah,
2: she did an amazing job on that. All all those variant covers look great kind of wish I would have got a chance to do one but uh, <laughs> I thought well okay at least I'm I'm a part of it but kind of would like to get a whole cover in there too but have uh, you got a release date on that Darryl? Um, I have not uh, I think tentatively they were thinking of May but I'm not sure because I don't even have the script yet it's kind of like uh, <laughs> so I can't draw anything I have I don't have a script <laughs> I'm sure Ron is hard at work at it as we speak he's probably uh Tweaking a few things here and there, knowing him, so
3: yeah,
0: Daryl's like, "Don't send me this thing a week ahead of time you know,
3: <laughs> tell me it's due like on Tuesday." I would love to see you. Um, there was one that you did where you did Alan Scott, but when he was Sentinel, that was oh, like, okay. that was freaking awesome. Yep.
0: Uh, All right. So Harkins Raiders, uh, the art of Daryl Banks book. Now, what's the website they can go to and get those from Daryl?
2: You can go to www.OminousPress.com.
0: Awesome. I In fact, I'm probably going to go there it's myself. still available. Go there after the show myself. Um, Green Lantern, 80th anniversary special coming up. Got any uh, other projects, things coming up you can tease us about, let our listeners know that uh, it's going to be hitting out there?
2: Well, th- as far as publishing, that's pretty much it. Now, the bulk of my work, I do uh, commercial illustration, concept design, that sort of thing, for example, at the moment, even as we speak. Uh, I'm doing characters for uh, uh, PhilSingerGames.com. I, I do their uh, character design for their card sets, for their gaming modules, that sort of thing. Yeah, I've been great. doing that with them since 2004, something like that. So uh, I, I keep busy, especially on the commercial side. But you know, whenever a good opportunity to do something comics-related, which is very near and dear to my heart, you know, I, I jump at the chance when I'm able to.
0: Absolutely. So um, if our listeners want to go to any of your websites, contact you, what's some
2: addresses they can hit you at? I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on, uh, but I, okay. I think I spend the most time on, in, on Instagram as GL Prime. Gotcha. Okay. And I'm on Twitter.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, Darrell, we want to thank you very much for coming on the show. It was an absolute treat. I love talking to you. Yeah, it was a great time.
2: Uh, Thank you. Frank, Thank you. Frank,
0: yes. I enjoyed it. Uh, listeners, I do want to remind everybody out there, we do have um, our own uh, Facebook page. We also have lostandlongbox at gmo.com. Please drop us a le- uh, line. Let us know what you thought about tonight's show, anything you'd like to hear. We also do have patreon.com slash lostandlongbox. Throw us a couple of bucks. We would like it. And then we have our um, three Facebook groups at Enos Manages, um, Batman, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. The realm of superheroes, comics, and pop culture and gather together the greatest superhero teams. And don't forget, Madman's got his um, companion show um, Shop Monkey Radio every Tuesday from 6 to 7. Once again, everybody, please, thank you very much, Daryl Banks. Y'all have a nice evening, and thank you for listening.
1: Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks again. Good night. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, you,
3: Daryl.